everything? It's nice to see you all. Um, at the beginning of this year, I had the great privilege of, of going to Antarctica to work. Um, now, I've never flown across the Antarctic Ocean before. I don't know how many people in here have, but it's amazing. It's just incredible to set off from South America and to see this vast expanse of ocean that seems to go on forever and ever. And then, just when you're sort of almost tired of seeing sea all the time, you see these icebergs. And these things can be up to a mile, mile and a half long. And because you're in the plane, they look quite small, but you know that they're massive. And I must confess, when I, I first saw it, I was like a giddy schoolboy running from um, window to window, just looking at these icebergs and just amazed. Because first there was one, then there's lots of them. So you're seeing these gigantic structures moving across the surface of the water. And I'm going, whoa, look at that, whoa. And of course, I'm with seasoned uh, Antarctic explorers who think, new boy, you know. But I was just so excited to see all this, this stuff. And you know how sometimes you're in an experience and you think, this is just amazing. That's what I was. This is absolutely amazing to see all this. And it kept on going. And then we came almost to the Antarctic continent itself. And right in front of the continent is a massive ice shelf. In fact, one of the things that really shocked me was that even though this was coming into the summer, in January, most of the place is covered in ice. And you have a huge ice shelf, sometimes hundreds of miles long. And in fact, all those massive icebergs that I could see, all these huge structures that were floating in the ocean, were actually just tiny little slithers of a whole massive ice field that was still stuck onto Antarctica. And I remember taking a picture. I was going to show you the picture, but it doesn't quite convey it when I realized that part of the ice field that I was looking at had actually broken away. And this must have been at 30 miles long, and it had broken away and it was moving. I really thought seeing those huge icebergs was the key. I thought that was just incredible, the size of those things. When you see this ice shelf break away and you realize that those things are magnificent, but they're truly only a small part of the big picture, it was quite overwhelming. It was absolutely, totally and utterly overwhelming. Why did I tell you that story? To make you jealous. Because I know there are biologists here. I'm a marine biologist. There are biologists here who haven't yet been to where I've been to. So, hey! <laughs> no, I don't. That's, that's very unworthy. Um, I, t- I tell you that because sometimes when you look at what God is doing or the way that God reveals himself, sometimes you see things and you think, that's amazing and it's wonderful, but it's only part of the picture. And because of what he does or what he says... He takes you to somewhere that doesn't change it. It just makes it much bigger. Those icebergs were still huge. Those icebergs that I saw at the beginning were still huge. It's just when you saw the bigger picture, you realize that they're just tiny little slithers. Sometimes you see that with God. How does that fit into what we're talking about? Clive started last week looking at the names of God. Someone's name is really important, isn't it? If someone forgets your name you're a bit hacked off because your name's quite important. It's, 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 it's a bit of you. The, the, the name that we have to consider today is Adonai. Now, strictly speaking, it's actually not a name of God. It's actually a title. It's boss, lord, master. 
It's quite an old title. The, the actual um, word, for those of you who are familiar with the Hebrew, um, Adon means just boss. And it can be used of God. It's used of Pharaoh in the, in, in the book of Exodus. It's used of angels. Just the boss, the Lord, the person who's in charge. However, there's 300 times, 320 times in the, the Old Testament where this word, Adonai, is used to describe God. And Adonai is the plural. And it's only ever used to describe him. So Adon, the, the single one, is used to, for God. It's used for lots of different things. Adonai is only for God. But even then, it's just to replace another word. You know how all of you were singing Yahweh? Now, if Paul had done that, probably in, in the sort of um, fourth century BC, and got you to sing that, the chances are that you'd have been thrown out of church because you didn't mention the name Yahweh. We, we now do it and we're quite happy with it. The Jews thought it was so holy that you couldn't say that word Yahweh, the name of God, I am who I am. And so what they did was in their writings and in everything else they did, they replaced Yahweh with Adonai just so that they didn't say this marvelously holy word. And Adonai just means the Lord, the Lord of Lords, the King Lord, the top person, the top boss. And it's right through the Old Testament. Someone, what is it? He who must be obeyed. Now, when you take that on its own, and you read some of the Old Testament, as I remember doing before I became a Christian, some of it can seem fairly strange. Um, if, if we look at the passage that we've been given, it's a, a book and a, a prophet. God sent a whole bunch of people to talk to, to his people because things were going wrong. And um, one of the last ones is a guy, well, it's not, it's a, a, a book called Malachi. And you have the use of this word, um, Adonai. And it's what's the part we're going to read, just one verse, typifies the whole of the Old Testament approach to not just this word, but also God to his people. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6, it says, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, God is saying, you call me master to the people of Israel. You call me your Lord, but you don't listen and you don't act as if I'm your Lord. And the rest of that book of Malachi is um, unpacking the fact that he wants to show them love, but they don't actually listen to him. They go their own way, and life is a disaster because of that. And if you go through all the Old Testament prophets, most of this, most of this Bible, most of the Old Testament prophets, it's the same story. Go back to the book of Amos. Amos was one of the first people that God gave a chance to, to go and tell his people, actually, things are not great. And Amos is exactly the same. You say he's your Lord, but you don't listen to what he says. You don't do what he says. Now, when I first read that, before I became a Christian, this sounded to me like someone who was petulant. I'm the Lord, and you just don't listen to what I say. Therefore, life's going to be a disaster. That was the way that I read it before I became a Christian. Almost a sort of petulant, naughty child stamping the feet. I'm the Lord, and you don't listen to me. And there are many people, I gather from from talking to friends, who still take that view, that when they read through the Old Testament, what what they hear and what they see is a God who's, I am the Lord, I'm great, and you don't listen to me. As a result of that, you're in trouble. 
It's from the beginning to the end, this idea of God being the Lord Adonai, 300 odd times. So is that right? Because there's another view that when Jesus came, all of the Old Testament stuff just disappeared and he brought love and this nasty Lord who stamped his feet and was really upset with people, um, he disappeared. If you go to Luke's Gospel, you go to Oops. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. At the beginning of a very well-known story, it's page 1034 in in the the church Bible. It's a very well-known story. I'm I'm not going to sing the song, The Wise and Foolish Builder. The wise man built his house upon the... No, I'm not bothered. Do you know that? It's a really good story about where Jesus is saying, listen to my words, build upon them. And it's like a wise man building his house upon a rock. If you don't build your life on what I'm saying, it's like building and shifting sand and it's a bit of a disaster. But notice how he starts. Before he actually tells that story, he says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now that's exactly the sort of thing which is running through the prophets. It's exactly the sort of thing that God was saying to the children of Israel hundreds of years before Jesus. His disciples called him Lord. His disciples believed that Jesus was the Lord. And they used that as the boss, the person in charge. Here is Jesus saying to all the people who are listening to him, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't actually obey me, you don't listen to me? It's the same sort of thing that runs through the entire Old Testament. But when you read that, can you imagine Jesus stamping his feet like that? Oh, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do it. No, I mean, Jesus is teaching people. He's teaching people and he's wanting to bring them close. He wants to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. He wants to preach the good news to the poor. And here he's giving teaching, which is life. And can you imagine him saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't actually listen to what I'm doing? You don't listen to what I'm saying. It's it's different, isn't it? It's the same words, but when you read it that way, it changes the meaning. Jesus decided that, in fact, he was also Lord. It's not just his his disciples who called him Lord. He had decided that he was the Lord as well. Sounds really arrogant. And it must have been really hard for religious people at the time because that Adonai, the Lord, the person who has to be listened to, Jesus claimed to be that person. If you go to John's Gospel, John chapter 13, page, where are we? 1081. You've got an insight into what Jesus thought when he called himself Lord. See, because for us, Lord is you can do what you want. I'm the Lord of this household. I can do what I want. I'm the Lord of this planet. I can do what I want. I'm the Lord of the USA. I can do what I want. Lord, for many of us, has got a fairly bad connotation because, because we tend to do bad things. Jesus, John chapter 13 Absolutely beautiful chapter. 
because here is Jesus with his disciples. He is the Lord. They've called him Lord for three years. He is their Lord, their master. Okay, don't often listen to what he's saying and obey it, but he is their Lord and master. Now, what would a Lord and master do when you go for a meal? Well, even before they get to the meal, Jesus does a really strange thing. He takes off his outer garment and he goes to his disciples and he kneels at their feet. The Lord, hopefully, was using a mic. Right. Just forget about the last couple of seconds. We're back again. He kneels at their feet and he washes their feet. What sort of Lord do you know that does that? What sort of Lord, someone who's genuinely in charge, someone who genuinely knows what's going on, who has real responsibility, kneeling down to a bunch of no-hopers and washing their feet, including one no-hoper who's actually supposedly a friend and will turn on him. He kneels down and he washes their feet. And then this is the key part. If you look at it here, just to make sure that I'm going right... John chapter 13, if you go to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. Listen, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. Okay, so there's a bit of a mismatch here. Remember this, this picture of the idea of a Lord who can do what they want. This Lord kneels down, washes dirty feet, even if someone who turns out to be an enemy, and then says, when you call me Lord, you're right. I am your teacher and Lord. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Lords don't do that. And in the same way as in the Old Testament, we've got this idea of the Lord, the person who's, who's in charge, the person who is the ultimate authority. In Jesus, we see the same person, the Lord who has ultimate authority over your life and my life, but he chooses to kneel at the feet of his disciples and wash their feet. Now let's leave the next part just now where he goes on to say, so you must do the same. Let that sink in. In the same way as I saw all those little tiny icebergs floating in the water and thought, wow, this is amazing. We look into the Old Testament, even with its difficulties, and say, look at this incredible God who's you know, the, the Lord. And then when we come to Jesus, it's a bit like we'd come into that big ice shelf when we see the bigger picture. And the Lord, the maker of the universe, the Lord of everything, bows down, strips to his waist, and washes feet and serves. And that's because this Adonai, this Adonai right through the Old Testament, even though they missed it at the time and we miss it as well, this Adonai, this Lord, is a servant Lord. He serves this is a Lord who has every right to say, 
I know the insides of your life. I know exactly what you're like. And when I tell you something, it stinks. And because of all that, I've got the right to destroy you. I've got the right to wipe you out because you don't deserve to live. He could, he could do that. He really could do that. He's got the power to do that. But he doesn't because he's a servant. Now, just think of that. Here's Ross. Right. Now, I'm not going to speak because what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Ross, I know you inside out. I know all the things that have happened this week, this month, this year. I know what you're like, the good and the not so good. So what do I do? Because if he's like me, that's bad news, by the way, pal. Mm -hmm. Right? It's really bad news. If you're like me, it's bad news for you. Because all the things that that, that you are and that you've done and all the mixed motives and everything else, now, me, if I was Lord, yeah, let's go for the smite button. Just one among many. Bye, down you go. Jesus doesn't. Jesus comes alongside, and he doesn't even just say, I'm your friend, but he serves you. He's a servant to you. Now, I've picked on Ross because he was the nearest. It's the same for every single person here. Every single person here. What image of God do you have? Because there's an image of God that's out there that a guy called Jared Hughes wrote about. He wrote a book called The God of Surprises. And he wrote this book because he had a, he had a mental breakdown. He couldn't cope with the Christian view, as he thought, of God. And he described the God that he had believed in as being like good old Uncle George. Uncle George is a family friend, and you go and visit him every Sunday. And you go and see um, Uncle George and Mum and Dad say, now when we get there, make sure you tell Uncle George you love him. Make sure that you tell him that he's really, really special and he's great. And you'd nod and you say yes. He says, because if you don't, you'll notice in Uncle George's house, behind his seat, there's a big gate and a big door, and it goes down into a basement where there's a fire. And if you don't tell Uncle George that you love him, he'll throw you into that fire, and he'll get rid of you. So when you go, make sure you don't let the family down and just be really nice to Uncle George. And Gerard Hughes writes, and so you go to see Uncle George and you go forward to kiss this great, wonderful uncle's hand and tell him how wonderful and how glorious he is. But in your heart, you hate him because you know he's not good. Now, that's a caricature. But it's interesting, that caricature, when, when Gerard Hughes wrote that, literally millions of Christians who'd given up their faith realize that that was the God that they had they've been worshipping and that's the sort of image that comes with the Lord so easy to read the, the, the Old Testament in particular and see the Lord as this crushing figure and yet all the way through the Old Testament the Lord is always a servant Lord the whole time God Adonai, the Lord, tried to teach his people that he would serve them And even worse than that, or better than that, depending on your point of view, he would be a suffering servant. How can you put those two things together? The Lord is a servant and a suffering servant. That's bigger than most of us can cope with. We're okay with making God in our own image, aren't we? Because we can make him him fit. So, a nasty God. Yeah, I can have that. Uh, A a loving God who who doesn't really sort of care and he just says to you, it's all right, we're okay, we're mates. All these gods in their own image. Every single one of us in here build an image of God. 
And unless you allow the Holy Spirit to actually form it, you, you very often end up with a wrong image of God. Gregory of Nicaea, a dead dude from the 4th century, said that everyone's got their own image of God. Now, we were promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us into the truth about that. And God himself wants us to know him. So he's not, he doesn't hide himself, at least not as much as we think. And he reveals himself as a God who is the Lord, but he's also a servant, even to you. He knows you inside out, and he has the power to do whatever he wants, and he chooses to serve you. He does that by dying on the cross. Dying on the cross, he served you so that all the wrong things could just be wiped away. But even now, Christian or non-Christian, he is there to serve. That's his nature. Adonai, the Lord, is a good title, but apart from the fact he is a Lord who serves, it's a wrong picture. What does this mean for us? What do we take away from this? The first thing is that it's really important that when we come to God that we get the right image of who he is. And that's Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so we didn't have to guess. The folk in the Old Testament certainly did a good job and they had prophets and they had people to tell them what God was like. But in Jesus Christ, we see God. We see God. We see the Lord. We see Adonai. And he says to us, and he says to each one of you, you call me Lord, Lord, if you're a Christian. You call me Lord, Lord. Why don't you do what I ask? I want to tell you something, there's very little anger there. You might get anger from other Christians. You won't get it from him because his heart's breaking. That phrase, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I ask, has got a pleading in it which goes right to the heart of a servant. That's our God. The God who's worshipped here, I hope. That's the God who's worshipped here. A God who is worthy of praise, who makes the universe, does everything that is absolutely amazing and splendid, and yet chooses to serve ordinary men and women like you and I. That's God. Paul, when he was preaching, he spent three years in a place called Ephesus. None of this visiting preacher stuff for him eventually. Three years, he got a job there so he could, he could preach. And when he left, he said to them, I haven't, I haven't neglected to tell you the whole counsel of God. I haven't neglected to tell you the breadth of what God is doing and what he's like. And of course, it's so easy to do that, isn't it? Particularly if you only know a little bit of the Bible, you can pick the God that you want. The nasty, angry God. The, love, the, 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 the loving, oh, I'm not going to bother God. You make your own image of God. There is only one God, and he's in Jesus Christ. And that's where we get our image from. The second thing, and it's beautiful, is that that God, who is the Lord, wants to serve you. Now, it's almost impossible to get your head around that, but what that means is he's actually for you. He is for you. What's even worse 
is that he's for everyone else as well. All the people you disagree with, he's for them. The people you hate, goodness, you're not, you wouldn't hate people, you're nice English people, you wouldn't hate people, but let's just assume that there's a wee bit of hatred in some of your hearts. It doesn't matter. He's for them as well. For the people you oppose, for the people who are your enemies, he's for everyone, simply because he's a servant Lord. He is the Lord, but he's a servant. That changes everything. Is this your God? Because this is much bigger than anything that any of us would make up. Who on earth would think of putting the two things together? Lordship, king over everything, truly king of kings. And he takes the nature of a servant. And this isn't just one, two, three, four verses. We're really great at taking three or four verses and making whole doctrines out of it. This goes from the beginning of the Bible right to the very end. It's right the way through. It's not even a golden thread. It's a massive train that runs all the way through it. Our God is a servant Lord. And that changes everything for you because it means that God is for you. If you aren't a Christian, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, maybe that picture of the Old Testament God, that's the one I believe in. He's nasty. He doesn't like me. No. The Old Testament God was for his people. The Old Testament God was for his people. The New Testament God in Jesus is for his people. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of people. It's just that when you see Jesus, you see something that took nearly quite a few thousand years for the people of Israel to realize that that Lord is a servant king. In the same way, little icebergs, well, they're not little, they're huge, huge icebergs, but then flying over and seeing this entire continent covered with snow and you realize where it all came from. And it's just, wow, it's just much bigger. Our God is bigger than any of us can imagine. Our image of God can only come from him. We can't put it together. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't put these things together that God puts together that we see together in Jesus. He is the Lord, and he's a servant. This is your God. This is the God of the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament. It's not nasty man and good man. It's the God of the Bible. And he's the God of those who call themselves Christians. God's for you, no matter who you are. No matter who you are, no matter what other people think of you, no matter what Christians or non-Christians think of you or say about you or condemn you, God is for you. That's what the whole thing says, not just a few verses. That's why it's called good news. It's really, really good news. And I tell you something, The world outside really needs that good news. I don't need someone to tell me how rubbish I am. I don't need that. I can do that myself. Many of us are very good at telling ourselves just how rubbish we are. And we can build up a good evidence base as well. The Bible says the heart's deceitful above all things. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? The heart is deceitful above all things. You think of the number of times in church or out of church we fight with one another, battle with one another because we're right and we know this and we know that. The heart's deceitful above all things. And yet we've got a God who instead of coming and slapping us about, which let's face it, some of us would do. You see people, oh, I believe in Jesus, and they live in a totally different way. But if I was God, I'd sort them out. 
And yet he takes the nature of a servant and comes alongside us. What sort of God is this? He's bigger than anything that you can imagine. Not just bigger, but, but he's kinder, but he's also mighty. He's all those things together. This is your God. And if you don't know him yet, you can meet him because he takes the form of a servant and says, I want to come alongside you. But the world outside needs that God. I can assure you that. The world outside doesn't need the, the petty God of people fighting about small bits of doctrine. They don't need that. They've got enough fighting outside without us introducing our fighting to them. They need the big God. The God who is Jesus. That's who they need. He is the Lord. And he's a servant Lord. And if any of us in this room begin to catch on to that even just a little bit, not only will we change, but everything changes outside. Or else... You can stay looking at small icebergs. They're great. Small icebergs are great. Mile long. But you'll miss the true and living God. A God who is in your eye image is not a God worth having. And he dominates a lot of religious thought. The God who is Jesus Christ is bigger than any of us can imagine. More glorious than any of us can imagine. And will change the world and for some strange reason, which is beyond me, he thinks it's a good idea to come alongside you to be your servant so that you can serve other people. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I don't know, did you think this was a social club? This is somewhere to come and meet like-minded people? Somewhere you can come and worship together? No, that's not God's mind. God's mind is that he wants a, a people who want to serve other people. That's what he wants to show his family likeness. God grant that not just this church, but all churches, wherever they are, want to believe and hold on to that God. God grant that I, personally, want to hold on to that God. God grant that all of you want that God who is Adonai, the Lord, and he's the servant Lord. And that's what your life is about. Jesus said stuff like that and some people went away and left him because they thought it was too hard. What do you think? Is this too hard? Are you too right? Are you so sure in what you're doing and this stuff's too hard? Or are you willing to trust in the God who's a servant king, a servant lord? That's the gospel. That's good news. Anything less than that is not great. Take away the servant from the Lord, you no longer have the good news of the Christian gospel. It's together. Our God, the kids say it, is a great big God. He really is. Let's pray. We come to you, our Lord, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lord of Hosts, Amazing God who made this world, who created the universe, who created every single thing that is here and exists, and that right now is Lord of upholding it by the power of your word. We come to you, Lord, and we give you praise. Not because we're terrified that you're going to smash us into the ground, not because we're really, really scared that you hate us 
but because you took the form of a servant. A servant all the way to death. You are the servant, Lord. And you came to each of us and you come to each of us. And you save us. And you give us the family image. And for that we worship you. Because you humbled yourself, Jesus, all the way to death, the Father has given you the highest name above all names, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's because you're a servant king. That's because you're a servant Lord. Let the beauty of that, let the power of that run through us. Change our minds, Lord. Take away our poor hearts, which are just so often going wrong, and replace them with hearts for, the, for this Lord, please. For those of us who don't like ourselves very much, show us what it means for you to draw alongside to serve. For those of us who don't like other people very much, give us your heart, O servant Lord, that we wash other people's feet and that we count others better than ourselves because it's the job description, not an option for super spiritual people. Help us in our weakness, Lord. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus, Adonai, suffering servant Adonai. Amen.